joined today by a very special guest. We've got screenwriter Shantus, an absolutely delightful human, Andrea. Thank you for joining us, Andrea. Aww, thank you for thank you for having me. Thank you for inviting me on. You you're delightful humans too. Oh, very excited to have you. So I I know Andrea because my BFF Frank had the amazing good sense to fall in love with you and marry you and now I get to be friends with you. So <laughs> excellent work. It is the best when your friends give you good friends-in-law. I think that I that is like it's such a bonus because he, I don't know about you, but whatever a friend of mine meets someone, I'm like, they're not good enough for you. They're not. <laughs> so it's like such a pleasure when you actually are like, no, it's a good match. I approve. I mean, yeah, basically from the first moment I met you, Andrew, I was like, oh, I'm a little bit in love with her. This is amazing. Aww, love this for us. Bless you, bless you. Well, I likewise have like, gained you through Frank. So uh, good job, Frank. It all, all works right. out. Yeah. <laughs> good judge of character. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, a lesser acknowledgement of country. Mm-hmm. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Guy and Darug people, traditional custodians of the land where I'm recording today and pay my respects to their elders past and present. And I'd also like to acknowledge Tangata Finua of Tafanganui Atara, where I'm recording today. So, it's a one-shot. Hooray. So exciting. I love recording one-shots. I love watching movies with you. And I love that we also got to watch it with Andrea. Um, should I do our summary? Please do. All right. So, this week we're watching Strictly Ballroom, the inaugural film from the Baz Luhrmann's Red Curtain trilogy. It's an Australian classic starring Paul Mercurio and... Tara Maurice. We chose to study this film through the themes of conformity and legacy. Um, so a very simple premise in this one. Scott Hastings, the frustrated son of ballroom dancers, is tired of dancing the same steps. So he risks it all to learn a new routine with a new partner with the goal of winning the Pan Pacific Grand Prix Dancing Championship. The Pan Pacific Grand Prix. How many times? To- I should have kept account of how many times they said it. <laughs> I'm just so excited actually to have Andrea here, like because you're from the UK and we are both adopted Australians and this film is so Australian. So it's Mm -hmm, nice to have mm -hmm. like an external commentary Mm -hmm. on it. Yeah, it's actually quite hard to quote it without doing an appalling Australian accent. I'm sure (laughs) like whenever it's possible to say the Bogo Pogo without saying the Bogo Pogo. Bogo Pogo. Yeah, I can't do it either. (laughs) Um, this is the movie I tell people that if they want to know what Australian culture is like, they should watch. The- I know everyone says The Castle. I've never seen mm-hmm. it. But like, I think Strictly Ballroom is like, this is what Sydney specifically is very much like. Yeah, it does feel like a very Sydney specific film, especially with the... I used to, for the longest time, when I, I only re-watching it now, that I'm like, oh, her family is Spanish, which makes sense because it's the Pasadoble, yeah. right? But in my head, I thought it was Italian because I grew up in a very Italian part of Sydney where yeah, there's yeah. a strong Italian community. So I was always like, oh, yes, Italians, that makes sense. But no. Well, this is set in the inner west, right? Like the mm-hmm. the actual shop, Kendall's Dance Studio, is in Merrickville. It's on Victoria Road. Mm-hmm. And I think that Fran's house was a set, but it was in Piermont. It's actually where the casino is now. That's right. Yeah, they demolished it, right? Such a shame, but that's okay. It's not like we need our signal boxes or history or anything. Whatever, it's fine. <laughs> and, with, and with my screenwriter head on as well, I think it, it's a real testament of how specificity leads to universality as well. Because, mm. you know, I watch it as a British person. And even though obviously I'm hearing all the Australian accents and I know it's set in Australia, it also feels very universal. And it feels like, oh, the, the mm. ballroom dancing world in the UK, which I don't know. But I sort of suspect there's lots of, you know, characters here and things mm. going on, which... which 
which would be the same in the British, in the ballroom dancing world in Britain as well. And it's like, and it's interesting you say all that stuff about, you know, specifically which bit of Sydney it is, or even the fact that it's in Sydney, you know, um, that mm. again, to a sort of international viewer. And of course it was a massive international hit, you know, and so yeah. it's, all, yeah. like, so yeah, it's yeah. all testament to that. Um, it reminds me of something like, you know, Dairy Girls is always a good modern example mm. to use of this sort of thing where, yeah. you know, you set to me a very specific time in a very specific place. And in doing so, you actually create something universal where people all over the world of all ages can relate to it and, and get. I love get that. It. Yeah. It's great. It's great writing. It's great directing and, you know, performing. and You're tapping into that, like, core part of what it is to be human, right? It's yeah. a human story. So yeah. therefore you can relate to it regardless of where it is. And yeah, it's just like the power of a simple story told really well. People underestimate how powerful that is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally. Um, I really loved having the theme of conformity because that's the one I focused on because I just thought that was very obviously a key yeah. theme in the Huge. film, right? Ballroom dancing, that scene is all about conformity. You have to be mm-hmm. in line. Mm-hmm. And in a way, I think like even dancing, you have to rely on conformity because if you're not in sync, if you're not like conforming to the expectations of your partner, it's hard to be a good partner to actually do that right so yeah. it's very interesting it's set up so early on as well i was when i was rewatching mm. it and it's such a joy to rewatch it it's like the first 10 minutes conformity is there right from the off we know straight mm. away that scott has not conformed and that this mm-hmm. has caused consternation and upset barry fife immediately shows the link between conformity and success because he goes mm-hmm. well of course you can dance any steps you like but that doesn't mean you'll the 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 win <laughs> exactly <laughs> so we immediately get that set up and then um mm. and liz says to scott i'm not dancing with you until you dance like you're supposed to yeah so, and that's that's obviously that's conformity isn't it and that's like what what you're supposed to do i love that though i we were having a conversation over text jen and i were today where i was saying that i have done ballroom dancing mm. and like it's not for me but part of that is that you have to have a really great partner that you trust not mm. to treat you badly like i went i remember i went salsa dancing with a guy who just spun me and spun me and spun me and i was so dizzy and i really hated it but then you know mm. when i went back to ballroom and i was dancing with my actual teacher he was a lovely dancer and he knew exactly how to lead without tipping me or spinning me and he guided me beautifully and there was that instinctive and i'd never danced with him before but he was so good that he was able to like do it properly and I think that with Liz and Scott their relationship is so much about having built this pattern together that Liz is like no I don't want that I want to conform I like yeah. these rules I like these boundaries this is exactly where I am this is exactly what I want to do yeah. I thought it was so interesting that she has that line you know where the man goes the lady must follow yeah. she is completely devoid of her own agency in a way because of the conformity of the world that <laughs> yeah. she's in yeah. Yeah. She says, I don't I think, don't think. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. People are very scared to have an opinion. That's what really stood out to me watching mm-hmm. it. Every time Scott would ask, you know, what is wrong with the way that I dance? Like, what did you think of my steps? Wayne is like, I don't know. I don't have an opinion. No one is willing to actually comment on whether it's good or not. The only person willing to take that step is Fran. Yeah. yeah. Well, she gets it to him in the right way, right? I did notice that mm. Les pulled him up on it. And he was like, you had, you, you weren't directing your energy into the floor. You weren't mm. doing this. You weren't doing that. Like, and then he said that thing that keeps getting repeated, the flashy crowd pleasing steps. But like his criticisms I thought were just Mm. and Scott needed to hear them but he couldn't hear them because all he could think of was oh nobody's gonna let me dance my steps and Les was saying okay those were your steps but also they weren't working because of x y and z 
Yeah. Which is why it's such a powerful scene when he's with Fran's family, right? Because they mm-hmm. are calling him out on it, being like, you have, you've adopted this style, but you don't have the heart. You don't actually yeah, pay attention yeah. to what you need to do. And by having that conversation with them, he can actually tap into that, that individuality that he's trying to find, but he doesn't quite have the, the guts yet. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm. There's a great Aaron Sorkin um, screenwriting adage about how you have to give your antagonists a really good argument, and mm. and so you know you don't just make someone the bad guy or you don't just you know make them terrible for the sake of thing, but they have to. You, you want to give them a good argument too, and exactly that as mm. you described. You know, Les and Fran, and actually even later Shirley when she talks about you know her justification for them, you know, for her not wanting to do the crazy steps with Doug. She talks about you know we we needed to work. You know, we needed, we wouldn't have become teachers and all of that kind of thing. Like, she has a good argument too. And uh, Scott needs to kind of rein it in, doesn't he? He's, uh, he mm. can't just go off in this one crazy direction and go all, all out where well, he, well, he can. But it won't be as satisfying. It won't actually be as good dancing as he thinks, perhaps, if he, if he doesn't... Reforms, not revolution, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I find it, yeah, it's so interesting because Scott, he wants to do his own thing and he wants to do all the stuff. And this, you know, Barry Five very much pushes the fact that if you don't conform, then you will not have a successful career, yeah. right? Mm. Like, that's his whole thing. And I actually love this symbolism of the video that they keep bringing up his video as, like, this is <laughs> the way you conform. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then there's that scene where Scott chases after Fran at state and he knocks over the display of the, the videos. And mm-hmm. I'm like, this is so, this is great. Get right mm. symbolism of him. I'm just barreling through, and right? Doesn't but... Doug knock them over every time as well? Yeah, <laughs> which I great. loved. But I love Doug in particular because it's the example of like you know he was told that he needed to conform, so he chickened out. He didn't do his own steps, but he's so filled with regret. Yeah, yeah. It's better to try and fail than not try at all. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah exactly. The conformity of, of you know what success looks like in this world, mm. and that to be a successful that it means winning. And exactly say it's dance yeah. to win is literally the name of yeah. Harry Potter's video. And it's, you know, dancing well, you know, speech marks is, is, is equal to winning. But that's when Scott has his freedom, right? Is when he recognizes that actually I don't care about winning. Yes. I just want to do my thing. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So beautiful. One of my favorite parts of the film is that it goes from being his steps and goes from Fran saying, I want to dance your steps at the Grand Pacific Grand Prix to mm. him saying, I just want to dance with you. I just want to dance yeah. our steps. Yeah. And I was like, oh, he's figured it out. Like, it's not just him anymore. It is a collaboration. It is a partnership. It does have give and take. And also, you yeah. should always listen to Fran because she's right. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. And his arc, his sort of journey in that as well, like you say, you know, there's a point where he basically, he's, he's yeah, because he's, he says very early on, doesn't he, something about how I've been working towards winning this since I was six years old, or yep. something like that. Mm-hmm. And so exactly, his, his journey to go to, I don't want to win, I just want to dance our steps. And then what the film has to do to create another obstacle for him, because actually, if it was never, if it's now not about him, whether he wins or not, mm. then what is it about? What, you know, what's got to get in the way? Um, mm. And it becomes family and it becomes you know his dad doesn't it but uh yeah his his journey from sort of sh- breaking the shackles of his conformities what success looks like what love yeah. looks like even as well right um how he's sort of dismissive of fran at first and then of course falls for her yeah. ah i picked up on this though because scott is motivated so much by external validation like he's trying to get it from liz what did you think of the steps i don't Mm. think wayne what did you think i don't know no what did you think i don't know like nobody actually knows (laughs) what to think about them they just see the result as the negative like we didn't win so what but fran is the one who sort of says that's looking good and when you dance your steps 
I know exactly how you feel because at home I bank up my own steps too. So she offers that vulnerability to him and she says, I like what you're doing. And then he only gets defensive after mm. she says, it's because you're overdoing it. And then he's like, you're going to be so embarrassed tomorrow. Don't even look at me. I'm a, I'm an open amateur. You're a beginner. You have no right. Blah, blah, blah. You know, he just does that pride mm. thing. But um, he actually is like, you can't dance my way because you don't win. Like, that's the first thing he says to her. That's his first rebuff. It's not, oh, you're yeah. going to be, you're, you're not my level. But he just says, you won't win. Like, it's obvious. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Fran is so interesting because her conformity, she's trying to conform in this way, you know, she's got this overprotective father, right? Mm. So there's that conformity of your cultural environment. Then she's trying Absolutely. to, you know, fit into this Australian ideal and this ballroom world. So that's conformity there. But that's what stifles her. And it's this idea that when you're trying to fit into what you think people need you to be, like when she's trying to be this ballroom dancer that she thinks people are trying to make her out mm. to be, that's when she's not very good. But when she's allowed to just be herself... Mm. She has real strengths, which yeah. is, you know, age old lesson, but a good one all the same. No, totally. It is an ugly duckling story, but I mean, it's meant to be in the way that we see her evolve in confidence and we see her grow mm. from like the first tentative bravery to like absolutely knowing who she is, knowing what she's about, mm. following her journey as best she can, but also being willing to like forgive and support someone that she really cares about, which is huge. Like forgiveness is actually a really big motif in this. Mm. I mean, yeah. at the end, you also have Doug and Shirley and Doug has been so not cold to Shirley, but just very resigned. But at the end, he says, shall we dance? And he like takes her hand and like there's that moment that you see she's always felt that that distance that she created. But there it's like repairing. They have this opportunity to mend it. So I love that there's forgiveness as a motif as well. Like you don't have to keep going on the path or you don't have to conform to that. You can change your course. Yeah. Yeah, there's real vulnerability. As you say, it would be so easy for Fran to be a kind of very classic ugly duckling character, but mm -hmm. she's got, she has this fantastic, right from the off, has this fantastic kernel of self-belief, doesn't she? Yeah. And I love how basically we see her as Scott sees her, I think, to start with. You know, we think she's a bit of a joke. In fact, it's really interesting how she almost seems like this minor character that we don't realise is going to be a major character. Yeah. I certainly viewed the film that, Bates that way. Um, yeah, totally. And it's like, oh, she's actually going to be, she's not just, for comic effect, she's not just this girl who's in the dance studio as a beginner. Who gets splattered by the door and knocked down by everyone. I love how totally. slapsticky this movie is, but in real life, I would be like, you're horrified. <laughs> oh my god. No, goodness. totally. So exactly, it would be so easy to just paint her as that, that comic figure or figure or someone that he's going to properly teach, you know. And of course, mm, he does yeah. teach her, but she teaches him. And so that, but that self-belief, which is, and that bravery that's there right from the start, mm. the risk-taking that comes from her right from the start is a fantastic aspect of a character and exactly and then she sort of blossoms and I think learns to be fully herself doesn't she and be and fully accept her cultural legacy and and all of that and accepting you know and mm. her, you know her family I think that's a big th aspect of the conformity actually is is the hardest conformities to break possibly are the family conformities aren't they even mm -hmm. bigger harder ones to break in life than social ones possibly and it's the family conformities that we see them breaking and that's certainly for Scott, I think. You know, I love that Shirley has the whole happy face thing. Mm. That's such a... I think I could so write familiar, a thesis on you know. Shirley. I honestly... Yeah. <laughs> I was like Shirley focused on my last rewatch. I was like, I'm just going to laser in on her. And um, I have a lot to say about Shirley. I won't say it all because we'd be here all night or all day. But yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, the happy face really struck me because we've all done that, right? We've all faked, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Yeah, and then you yeah, get so yeah. desperate for something that you just break down in the middle of a dance studio and cry loudly and ugly. And mm. yeah. And if your mother's been going around your whole life putting on her happy face yeah. and your, your father, as you say, then is like resigned to this mm. is how things are, then like exactly what does that say about them? You know, the upbringing you've had and what you've been told your whole life, not necessarily explicitly, but implicitly, yeah. as we are told by our parents how to behave or what to put up with and things like that so and what's important free yeah absolutely and what's important to yeah. to shirley is that because she didn't win the pan pacific grand prix that he mm. does like she has pinned all of her own yeah. personal hopes on him which is that whole mm. thing where you inherit your parents you know a lot of especially in sporting situations right yeah. your parents put their expectations that their dreams on their children and i feel right. a bit like that with scott i'm like how much of this is actually him like does he even really want this right which is part of his journey yeah because you see that he does love dancing but he like his dad needs to come to a point where he doesn't love winning like that Mm. that's not the point which is legacy yeah 100 (laughs) percent I think that, that that's why it's also so powerful that Scott breaks free of the family stuff like that. And it's not actually, mm. it's like his family is brought in, as I said, as that final kind of thing that has to twist the plot and change his his motivation. So, mm. and the only thing that can possibly do that now he has decided to dance with Fran is family. It is, mm-hmm. it is actually putting his dad first. So yeah. he thinks, so he thinks. That's what he's been told, basically, he mm. has to do. And so when he finally breaks through, I love it that it's not even just with his dad's blessing that he then does that final kind of twist to 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 do the right thing. But does it not just with his dad's blessing, but because his dad pushes him to do it. Yeah. So in the end, yeah. it's Fran and his dad that, uh, that are the ones saying, you know, don't live your life in fear. And it's his dad that enables him, right? Because he starts mm. the clap. If he doesn't do yes, the clap, they yes. wouldn't do the... And that's like one of my yeah. favorite cinematic oh, moments. Yeah. Oh, you know, I get <laughs> chills every time. time. And when he I just love that whole scene I love the whole thing where they're like dancing so beautifully and then like everybody's scrambling around behind the scenes trying to like stop it or stop the people stopping it and like the little sister's in on it she's amazing mm. by the way <laughs> I love that it's so funny like I love how much of this movie is a comedy yeah. my favorite genre I love that he wears the jacket that that continuity yeah. of the family heritage yeah. being like you know this is an authentic expression of who you are it's an authentic expression of friends culture you've been taught by these people who feel it mm. you know it's just it's lovely because i think a lot of conformity especially when you're from an immigrant family that kind of immigrant experience when you're trying to fit into a new culture mm. and like being able to express yourself in that way it's just a lovely little little undercurrent in this film yeah totally. i thought there was a really beautiful moment when fran when her dad you know sort of summons her down and says you have to do it like this and then he dances with her and he goes that's really good like he's like mm. seeing her and she is seen and i just like i was like yes i love it give me all the parents acknowledge their children as people. <laughs> I also love that Scott is so open in that scene. Like, you know, you've got that standoff, right, with the dad, and it's like all very tense. Mm-hmm. But when they start to show him, Scott is so receptive. He's like, Yes, teach me. I want to learn. I'm open to it. He's not defensive about it. Yeah. He's actually really ready to learn because no one's telling him he's doing it wrong because it's not Federation rules. They're telling him you're doing it wrong because you don't understand what it's meant to, to be. be. Yeah. And so he's interested. He wants to be better, so he listens. Yeah. The only other thing I'll say about conformity is Barry Fife is such an undermining, horrible man. <laughs> the way that he has played the Hastings family off against each other oh for like God. two generations. Yeah. He's a psychopath. What is his damage? <laughs> and it just reminds me because for him, conformity is how he 
stays in power, right? So yep. it's that classic yeah. quote about, you know, when you're accustomed to privilege, equality feels like oppression. Like he needs to mm-hmm. keep everyone in line. Otherwise, what's the point of him, right? As Scott says, like if, you know, if you if everyone went around making up our own steps, where would we be? And he'd be out of a job. Yep. Yeah, that's it right there, isn't it? Mm. Totally in that exchange. It did make me wonder how they judge it. Like, because I, I, I belong to quilting groups. It's not ballroom dancing, but boy, some of the similarities hit home. <laughs> but one of the ways that you become a professional quilter is you win amateur, you win in the amateur category at quilt shows. So if you win mm. like three times, you're no longer considered amateur. You have to enter in the professional category. So you're judged more critically. So I thought maybe <laughs> ballroom was similar in that probably what happened was Federation President Barry Fife won the Pan Pacific Grand Prix, then was able to win some more professional competitions Mm. and then became president so he actually did get to have that career that Shirley and Doug were going for that they didn't get so I was trying to figure out how they go from an open amateur to it becoming a career and I think that was it that's the jump that you have to win a lot of amateur competitions it would certainly explain why this whole this connection about winning being so important yeah and Mm. why like saying I don't think you know, you didn't win, did you? You know, that that's what matters. And that, and I think, ties into, you know, when you're talking about legacy, that idea of, like, you know, winning is your legacy as well, right? Exactly. It mm. gives you the step up. Or it's literal trophies. You know, it's that physical symbol of, you know, you've achieved something. It gives your life meaning. You've got status um, mm. because you, you won these trophies, you know. And then yeah. he, exactly someone like Barry Fife then, you know, becomes... It's, it is a typical kind of character in that sense of, like, he's trying to obviously maintain this power that he has. Um, and mm. he's utterly terrified by anything that could possibly be a threat to that and has to quash it yeah Yeah. Um, and as we learn has quashed it on his way up as well it's not just that he's suddenly what he's not suddenly now one egg that's rotted the barrel (laughs) i love that he gets it wrong like these little things every time (laughs) one bad egg can rot the whole barrel but then he gets wayne on it Poor Wayne being manipulated as well. <laughs> but Wayne comes good. This is the thing. Everybody who was unpleasant, except for Barry, comes good in the end. Yeah. So mm-hmm. Everybody who has a redemption moment is allowed it. So yeah. Wayne dobs on the plot to have mm-hmm. Ken Railings the drunk win, like he, he tells Liz. Yeah. And Liz is the one who plugs the music back in mm-hmm. because yeah. she's finally realized that it's not actually her job to dance with Scott. It's her job to find a partner and win on her own terms. But she hasn't gotten yeah. to that point yet. She's got that friction, but she hasn't got to that point yet. And I love in the final, very, very final shots of the dance floor filling with people. She, Liz, is dancing with um, with Fran's dad. Yeah, I love that. Um, Rico. So, yeah, which is great? just, again, just lovely. Yeah, that's the problem. Yeah, exactly. She's already redeemed herself. I believe he was their real life dance teacher. The actor's. Oh, fantastic. Because Paul Mercurio is a contemporary dancer and mm. Tara Maurice does not dance. Like she did not dance. She's an actor, not a dancer. So mm. she, he had to like teach them all of the dances. And I think that it was actually quite true to like what mm. you see in the movie was what happened for them behind the scenes. Oh, yeah, he's a professional flamenco from what I remember. And that was, was Paul's first acting gig. I thought he did quite well considering, yeah. you know, first yeah. first out of the block. Amazing. And it was her yeah, screen absolutely. debut. Aww. Tara Maurice's screen debut. But she was in the, the stage production that they did before the movie. Yes. So she was the original yeah, friend, okay. which I love. Yeah. I love that this one of my tangential things, but I actually love the sets in this. You can tell that it was a stage play, right? The way it transitions, the way that you've got the framing. I just love that. Cute. But he also expands, I think it shows that Baz Luhrmann's obviously his, his first film, isn't it? And it's so that mm. is how he expands from working in theatre mm. to being able to take, yeah, again, so yeah, my, probably my tangential things will be those those kind of things. It's exactly, it's the, it's the very cinematic moments, beautiful yeah. moments. Yeah. Um, 
that have stayed with us all, I think, stay with you when you're watching the film, and you know, years later. And I love that this is the first time you sort of seen because you know, in all his films, he's always got a billboard. He's always got the big yeah. billboard scene. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. in this one, it's the Coca-Cola thing, which is an iconic Sydney landmark and King's yeah, Cross, yeah. the Coca-Cola billboard. So, ah. and that was Catherine Martin yeah. who yeah. decided that she loved that King's Cross one so much she wanted to recreate it. It's made with sequins. I love I because I was I looking. Oh, so yeah. And I was like, oh, it's sequins. <laughs> it's actually like as sparkly as the dance costumes. Oh. That's amazing. I really love Catherine Martin and all the things that she does because she has such a keen eye Mm. and when she does a set you know it's her like she's got such a style Mm, I've become that person who's like on IMDb like what else have they done and isn't she yeah because I read isn't she like the Australian who's won the most Oscars I think so apparently because she doubles up with production design and costume design yeah costume design that's right because she did what? She didn't do the costumes on this, I don't think, but she, she but no. she has done costume. She's costume designer or co-costume designer on other films of his, and so yeah. hence she's won. I think it's one year she won more than one even. She was she won two Oscars twice, sort of thing, because mm. of production design and costume design. Amazing, um, which is amazing, absolutely, yeah, she's phenomenal. I think someone else designed the costumes, but she did the practical yeah. application of it because she was the one talking about how they only had so many Swarovski crystals because they bought Australia's entire amount, and so they had to like literally take them off and put them on other costumes in between (laughs) the costumes are so extra (laughs) yeah i'm just looking now yeah and the costume design was angus strathy yeah who won an oscar for moulin rouge so there you go yeah i just Mm. make a note of that no they are they're amazing like the tiny fruits like tina Mm. sparkles (laughs) fruit samba fruit costume it was amazing and the feathers the feathers on time like when she's we get introduced to tanya sparkles right and she's like Mm. The feathers on her, her partner's costume. So it's like, this is so intense. <laughs> Landscape designer Nathan Starkey. Nathan Starkey. <laughs> you want to talk about legacy yeah yeah i found i thought there was quite a bit of legacy in here because the whole thing revolves around this idea that ballroom is its own legacy and scott has to uphold a family legacy and then you've got Mm. fran who comes from a different familial and cultural background as you spoke about but legacy is both the impact of like a particular action or event that took place in the past so we have this legacy of the Mm. doug shirley and less upset and then also it's like what's left to someone so like an inheritance so like you know grandma left me 10 grand that's your legacy Mm-hmm. But it's also like mm-hmm. if your parents were in a university, then your legacy and you're more likely to be admitted to that university. But that's a very American thing. So but it doesn't really mm. apply here because we like the Hastings family is very famous for their good dancing. And so, of course, Scott is the natural heir, whether or not Barry Fife wants him to be. And he really doesn't want him to be. So yeah. I thought it's really interesting that that legacy is present, but it's not like it's trying to be he's trying to subvert it. I think it's interesting that she talks about he's my only son. He's my only <laughs> son like she's putting so much on him yeah but she also has a daughter yeah. a young daughter who she's like pushed into this world so yeah. I, I often say that to be dramatic because i have one of each so i'll be like but it's my only daughter that's my only son i just think it's a funny thing to say and she says that thing about what did i do something wrong did i fail yeah. as a mother yeah so much of her identity is bound up in his success yeah. It just makes me so sad because like even if he had one, she would still be left with herself and she doesn't realize that. I wonder if she has regrets about, mm. you know, what happened as well. So it's this idea because I think there's also this within the theme of legacy maybe there's this idea of being able to change your legacy, yeah. right? And to change and it's never too late to do that and that you can change that Doug can change the, like that whole mistakes of the past. You he doesn't want his son to repeat mm-hmm. them that we can change that. And also that like personally, you know, our, our own idea of what we think of his 
going to be our personal legacy and that we can change it you know so again Scott's saying that thing you know I've been working towards winning the Pan Pacific since I was six mm. years old but he said so that's been his like you said because of his parents yeah. you know it's become something that he has completely imbued inside himself and he's but he is going to change that you know and he's going to and that Doug can also change his legacy through sort of rect- he can basically almost rectify his mistakes of the past yeah. through Scott mm. which actually maybe in some ways isn't so different from Shirley also trying to do stuff through Scott yeah. but it doesn't feel like a selfish act of Doug I think Doug's stand just comes mm. too late yeah. right Shirley's been in the driver's seat for so long that Doug yes. hasn't been able to actually say but I have this mistake yeah. to correct yeah. as well and he has he really mm. has to take his opportunity yeah he's the mouse that roars yeah, isn't he? he really he's is the worm that turns he he yeah totally I love there's a point where I'm pretty sure that early on she says something like listen to your father and then later on goes don't listen to your father (laughs) yeah yeah poor Shirley because exactly she's been controlling it yeah Yeah, I feel like she's very afraid of things going badly she's very scared of what would happen if things don't go the way that they're supposed to yes I think she hasn't really faced up to the fact that she made the wrong decision yeah she can't accept it she's hanging on by a thread Mm. oh my gosh the happy face Yeah. yeah unless I think he's like their best friend he really loves them like you see that they have this very close connection he just wants the Mm. best for them as well he treats scott like a son or a nephew i mean he loves he loves this family he is part of this family but Mm. he's more a part of the family in a way that doug just hasn't been allowed to be and so it's really interesting to see this dynamic of like the actual father is henpecked and gainsaid and then you have les who's like the one in charge doing the dance stuff Mm. you're still at number one scott he's trying Mm. to maintain this legacy that scott will be their number one he's trying to run a dance studio mm. which is his own kind of legacy teaching people is what mm. you do when you can't be a professional you teach people right and the dance school is named after yeah, him it's right? yeah. School I think. Dance. Yeah, yeah 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 so yeah there's a lot there's a lot of legacy and i think the way that people push back against it and the way that people are conforming to it is really interesting mm. to see right yeah surely being unable to accept the consequences of her own actions really stood out to me and doug just kind of letting go of everything like he just checks out i just think they never spoke about it right like when les and barry have that confrontation at the end and he talks to shirley as well he's like well you told me that doug wanted me to dance with les right so they've just never as a trio sat down and actually talked about what happened and then you've got all this repression and doug's withdrawing because he thinks he's not welcome in this world Mm. and like when he does try to dabble he's doing it in the dark he's doing it in the sly you know Shirley tells him not to do it gets really upset by it it's just everyone just feels betrayed on so many levels and they've just never spoken about it yeah which feels very real in a way like especially for certain generations yeah you know the idea that there would be kind of effectively a kind of trauma or there's something terrible that happened that people or people are still holding great sadness about or anger about Mm -hmm. and upset about but they've carried on with their lives Mm. because that's what you do and you put on your happy face you know and you and you make the best of it um, and actually yeah like you said there's this fantastic kind of explosion of it all coming out and and like I say I love the fact that Shirley has good reasons for whether it's justifying it to herself but they do feel quite sort of legitimate mm. reasons you know mm. um, and actually go back even to the sense that the, the idea of conformity as well like I feel like that almost one lesson of the film is like that conformity doesn't pay mm. as in that because when it all comes crashing down it all comes out all this hurt um, of, of all those years past um, it's like we lost yeah. anyway yeah that's Doug's kind of riposte to Shirley isn't it 
you know, you lost anyway. It cost us our dream. Yeah, even doing the right thing, speech marks, being conforming, didn't actually pay, didn't actually work out in the end. Which I think a lot of people can relate to. I've just been watching yeah. Heartstopper this week, which is high school drama. And in high school, you do so much conforming, trying to fit into a box, right? Because that is what you think society is. And that is what you need to be to get ahead. And loads of people make it into retirement age before they realize, actually, I've never been happy because I've been conforming my entire life. Yeah. And there's this idea yeah. of, you know, is it better to be happy or is it better to fit in? Yeah. And what are you fitting into? Who decided what that is? Well, exactly. We, we carry around this because, again, in families, of course, larger this stuff is completely yeah. unspoken. Mm. Um, and so we carry around this idea of like, because the other another thing which comes up with this, I think, is this because um, it's used a lot. Barry says this a few times that you're selfish. Yeah. Mm. Like he, your father became a selfish dancer. So this and I felt that that's a great button that he knows he's pressing mm. this button in Scott. And I think it's a very relatable button. Isn't families, it? Yeah. A lot of families do say, yeah, but it's we, we carry within us this idea that if we are truly being out, if we are really go off and are ourselves and really pursue our dreams and all that kind of stuff and we're our authentic selves I think authenticity is definitely a theme mm, as well in this mm. that um, that we're being selfish yep. and it will cause pain and that's the other wonderful kind of lesson in all of this for Scott is that it's not only like I said that his father saying it's okay to be yourself and to and to really go for it Scott but I actively want you to do that and the sad thing I think a lot for a lot of us is that we go around carrying these these feelings or these thoughts that if I do XYZ I will be I will effect lose love for yeah. my family whatever yeah. you know because I will be selfish da 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 but actually it's like that great is it a Maya Angelou quote that great quote about you know who, who are you to keep yourself small or who am I to keep myself small that yeah. by actually shining your light in the world and being yourself mm. A your family or other people will probably just love that and think it's wonderful and want it for you mm. but you also give permission to other people to do it around you yeah. in your life I think that's a a big sort of part of Scott's journey. Yeah, and I think as well. Fran really allows that yeah. because she's the first person who who, yeah. who meets them on that level, being like, "I want to do it as well. Yeah. I want to be free too. We can be free together. If everyone's free, then yeah. we're all better off, right?" I just want to go back to the selfishness thing again because I don't think Barry was mm. wrong though, and I don't think that he was wrong to say that Scott was being selfish because when you are dancing with a partner, if you don't do what they expect, you are not being a good mm. lead. Doug was mm-hmm. not doing that for Shirley. He was not being yeah. a good dance partner for Shirley. Yeah, you're right because like when. Scott, the first introduction with him dancing his own steps, right? He's not being very good to his partner. He's not being good to Liz. Like, she doesn't know what's happening. Yeah. You know, he's like spinning her around. That's quite stressful yeah, for and her, she's I would unhappy. imagine. Mm. I want to do a, I want to do a yeah. section where we just talk about Liz because I really love her character. <laughs> yes. She's Is that okay? Lovely. Can we just talk about Liz? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Okay, I love how she's yellow. Yellow everything. Yellow bag, yellow shoes, yellow outfits. All of her outfits are yellow. Jean Caritas has <laughs> dark brown hair and brown eyes, and they put her in blue contacts and bleached her hair for this role. So wow. the entire yellow everything. She's like a neon sunbeam, and I'm here for it. I just have to say, I love how much she stands up for herself, <laughs> because when Scott is dancing with her, she's like, that's more like it. This is what we're meant to be doing. And then he starts doing his steps, and she's like, no, I don't want to. I don't like it. Like, she really tells them all. <laughs> And that's good. Like, I love that she's communicating like, hey, mm -mm, this is my boundary. I'm not going to do it. Mm. So I just have a lot of feelings about Liz Holt. I think she's amazing. Oh, and her little angry hug with Vanessa where she's like, hmm. And she's giving Scott that big greasy. (laughs) So good. So good. I think there's like something you can do with Liz where you can read her frustration and her anger. Mm. You know, she comes in and she's yelling and she's angry and she's upset. And you can read that as like the pressure of conformity because she just has to fit. Like she doesn't get a choice. She has to fit with these men. She has to dance with Ken, who again doesn't respect her because he doesn't respect the craft. Because under the pressure of conformity, he's obviously just drinking to cope with it, right? So 
There's a bit of that. And she just, yeah, she's stripped of agency in a way. So you see that expressed as frustration. Absolutely. She, she, she is a fantastic actress, yeah. as you mm. say. And that bit where just before she can't resist that little gloating, slightly gloating line about, yeah, oh, you know. But he, before that, when he's dancing with her and she and sort of blocking her mm. and, and that kind of thing and her frustration is, is, yeah. Oh, no, sorry, it's after that, isn't it? Of course, it's, it's then that he, sorry. That's all right. They have so much push-pull. You, she's she's set up yeah. to be the yeah the, absolutely she's set up to be his equal right like you think that this is going to be a movie about the two of them and Fran comes in like sneaks in as the actual love interest and other half right yeah and it's it's great because you still get a lot of blitz I just think she's such a fun character mm. yeah and and that whole as you as you said earlier about um you know it's like I don't think like we mm. think like I don't know what I want yeah. I don't know uh, what I, what I think you know I just want to be exactly where the man goes the woman mm. must follow um we just want to win all the, all of those kind of things that are going on and then when he when finally that to, the way she delivers that line when he, when he finally gets to say what do I want you know what do you want mm. and it's like what do I want I'll tell you what I want I wanted to break both her legs I want Ken Rayleigh to walk in here right now and say Pam Short's broken both her legs and I want to dance with you and It's brilliant. And then Kylie, little Greek chorus mm. that Kylie is, is like, well, that was unexpected. <laughs> She's so good, Kylie. Yeah. A bit of musicality, yeah. please. She's got no body flight. <laughs> it's totally I love precocious kids big. in films that still feel like kids. Mm. And she really nails it. Yes. It's a classic kind of trope to have, yeah, a kid who's actually very eloquent or mm. saying these things. But it's, um, this doesn't feel like a trope. She does feel like a real, a real little character in this in this crazy world of ballroom helping a mum so on yeah the costumes costumes or whatever oh my gosh the costumes are amazing and like i i had watched this movie dozens of times and i had never parsed that shirley makes all their costumes Mm. like she's in there sewing luke and kylie's outfits like she's pinning them she's doing them she's fitting them that is serious work like that is a lot of work Mm. like no wonder she's frustrated no wonder she feels like all her efforts have gone to waste like she's literally spent hours sewing slippery horrible satin and especially because they're like changing outfits as well between the different routines right they're not staying in the same outfit it's quite a lot Mm Um, the thing I wanted to talk about, which is tangential, but you know how it starts off and you've got this mockumentary yeah. style and they're sitting there and they're talking to the camera and then that's they just abandoned you. and never picked <laughs> up again? <laughs> we get a couple of minutes of it and then it's like, oh, well, never mind. <laughs> Moving on. I kind of love it, though, because it sets you yeah. up for what's happening and then hmm. I feel like we're getting what's happening after. I think that if it was made now or I can see, I mean, who knows what, what process, because the screenplay did go through lots of different processes by the sounds of it and took a while, you know, and they had all these kind of other subplots going on that they decided to strip out in the end and everything, keep it nice and simple. Mm. And it's obviously totally works. But exactly, was there ever, I don't know if there was ever a point where it was all a mockumentary. I think if it was made now that that's, it's much more common yep. to do that kind of style of thing now. So I'm really glad it's not that, actually. I agree. And it's, and it's funny, as you say, it sort of starts that way and then just sort of loses it. But he, he I think he makes that transition, mm. Baz Luhrmann and, and Craig Pierce in the writing as well, that, that, that it's so it's so sort of things that we don't notice. I don't think we do. Or maybe it's, it's so short. Yeah. Because it li- it's literally just uh, Shirley and Doug, isn't it, I think, talking to camera. And Liz. I mean, it, and Liz, sorry, yeah. yeah, as well, exactly. And it, man, so it mentions There's who they are, of course. There's that one zoom in on Bill Hunt as Barry Five. 
that you can dance any steps you want, but that doesn't mean oh, you're clean. Yeah. And then I think mm-hmm. the one thing they do yeah. that sort of calls back to it, but isn't really, is when they do new steps, new steps, and it's like a newsreel. Oh, what it feels yeah. like is yeah, those little yeah. bursts that you get in musicals that are like, and now we're transitioning to a new act, but you don't know that, so we're telling you what happens. Mm. That's sort of what it felt like to me. Definitely don't notice it. It's only when I rewatch it. Every time I start watching this film again, I'm like, oh yeah, it starts off as a mockumentary because you just completely forget about it. You're just like, mm. Was this the first <laughs> yeah. mockumentary? Like I mean, I know that it can't be, mm. but like this is the f- earliest one I can remember seeing. Same. I think the one that I really think about is um, Best in Show, and that was 95, and this was 91, 92. Yeah, but of course, the people who did Best in yeah. Show also oh, Spinal yeah, Tap. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was the 80s. Guests and his team. So, of course, Spinal Tap in the 70s. And even growing up in like UK TV in the 80s, more than 70s really, but Victoria Woods sort of a mm. TV series, one of her TV series had a kind of mockumentary within a show, a bit like then um, there was a, I'm trying to think of later, I do this, like, is it the day to day that also had a, a sort of a mockumentary within, a, within okay. a sort of sketch show. But I think Spinal Tap obviously. Oh my gosh, I love of, Spinal Tap. I've never seen it. Oh I watched gosh. Best in Show so at a really formative time and that was like the one movie that I've stuck, that I've stuck with. I love it so much. That is terrific. And A Mighty Wind oh, as yeah. well is great. From those guys. My favorite Spinal Tap <laughs> moment that I quote all the time and people don't know I'm doing it is you know when they do the Stonehenge stage thing and they they make them really tiny they <laughs> yeah. get the wrong measurements they write down yeah. inches instead of meters so the 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 prop they make is tiny <laughs> and there's this moment where the guy goes making a big deal about it would have been a good idea and I'm always quoting that. <laughs> okay, I have to watch it. I'm putting it on my list. Yeah, yeah. good good value. Oh gosh. I just love this film. I just, yeah. You can really tell that he's come from a ballroom background, though, yeah. right? Because that kind of love is imbued in it. Also, judging from the interviews yeah. I watched, Jen, he is you and me, because I saw him in his, like, dark hair, all black, black singlet phase, and then, like, the next interview was, like, fluoro everything, silly ball cap, like, as much neon hypercolor <laughs> as possible. And I was like, he is us. So this was great. It made me laugh. And he was so young mm. when he made this as well. I found a clip of him being interviewed when it got its standing ovation at the Cannes Film Festival. Mm. And there's a little, yeah, a little young Baz Luhrmann, a little young, and Paul McCurie. Yeah. But yeah, and because of course he did this, the original stage play was when yeah. he was a student, wasn't it? Um, and then sort of mm. developed out of that. Yeah. So, so he must have been 30 when this came out. It's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. So, well, you can mm. see all these sort of flashes. You can see the filmmaker he's becoming and that that's already in him you know and like I said that transition from stage play mm. to cinema because it's these cinematic moments especially I think for, for me that that really yeah. is partly the legacy mm. of Strictly Ballroom you know it's these moments that that have totally stayed with us that everybody loves that give you mm. goosebumps you know his eye for cinematic things but I can sorry I'll get onto that later when no we... I love it it all goes it all goes in the in the mix so yeah it's all good and I think you can also see you know one of the things I love about Baz as a, as a storyteller is his use of music mm-hmm. right which is so prominent through all his films yeah. and you can yeah. see that already starting here with his use like the perhaps perhaps yeah. perhaps scene is just so lovely it's gorgeous and it has that like shimmering tension yeah. like that will they won't they tension which is just incredible fun fact Tara Maurice sang the duet on Time After Time Mm-hmm. She's so cute. Yeah, I just really she's fantastic love in this. She's so she's so charming and she's so funny. Yeah, mm. physically so funny. Like you said, when she when she gets her face smashed, she gets smashed in the face by by Liz Holt slamming the opening the door and when she falls over. The bit I really love as well, which I've got about where um when she's with him outside the shop 
and um and oh, she yeah. stumbles backwards into um into the sign or whatever and that's fantastic as well her timing is just perfect or when he says look look at me like mm-hmm. you're in love quite early on and she's her face is right up it's like that's good it. yeah <laughs> yeah and how long mm. have you been here two, two years, years. <laughs> favorite moment totally her delivery yeah. is perfect no she's she's smashing and one of it. my favorite scenes um, with her is you know when they're having the final he's chasing after her right before the the final moment right and he says you know this is hard for me too and mm. she goes hard how hard do you think it's been for me and she brings mm. up these things the fact that she's you know been made to feel less because she has to do all the chores and she's been shamed for her skin and all these things it's such a powerful moment she deserves yeah, better totally and her journey, her character's journey to sort of becoming fully herself, because like I said, there's this strong kernel of self-belief. She knows her own worth to a certain extent and her talent and things like that. But her, the real pride that she ends up taking mm. um, in, in everything and in, in herself and adopting it. Because I think going with legacy, the idea of legacy, I think cultural legacy is mm, really yeah. shown through Fran's family, isn't it? And that it shines a spotlight on sort of the inauthenticity and the kind of pastiche of things like that obviously Pasadoble mm-hmm, flamenco yeah. dancing becomes this sort of ballroom Pasadoble mm-hmm. which obviously her father and, and grandmother and their friends yeah. just think mm-hmm. is ridiculous you know um, and that idea that you know the ballroom or the northern hemispheres whatever the ballroom dancing world the idea of Pasadoble is, is this yeah. inauthentic mm-hmm. kind of you know um, second hand sort of thing and the and that the contrast with what Yaya then says you know mm-hmm. her grandmother that whole kind of like you feel it here mm-hmm. in your heart and you feel it in your stomach that's where you feel the dance mm-hmm. and that's where you feel the rhythm and that whole you know and that, I think that's Fran's journey it, it's becoming fully herself and fully embracing that you know the daughter of yeah. Um, you know and being fully I'm proud of that and she, there's one point isn't there as well I think where you know she thinks people are, she says something to your grandmother about people will laugh yeah. at me um, about the you know dress. she wears yeah. that dress yeah yeah exactly no and, they um... won't I'll fight them <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Which is often when, you know, when you're an immigrant, I think for kids, especially going to school, there's often shame associated with your cultural things. Like I have friends, you know, they would be ashamed to take mm. their particular lunches to school because they'd be afraid of being, you know, made fun of for eating weird food or things like that, because that is their cultural heritage. Mm. So there's a lot of that in there. But w- what I really love, because I, you know, I remember when I was in Portugal and like in Spain and seeing that kind of flamenco dancing and the passion that does go with it. And when you see her father perform it and he does the, you know, the full kind of matador stance and the horns and everything yes. you can see the storytelling yeah. which has always been the thing with that kind of yeah. dancing right it's a story it's a process and to see scott learn that and embrace that and they tell a story it's just yes. so beautiful i love it exactly at the end he literally performs the mm-hmm. same he move, does the horns he? and you know he's done that full journey mm. he does the horns exactly and he's like you said he's wearing yep. that jacket he's wearing that authentic jacket and that's really interesting you said exactly about the children of immigrants as well that idea of of, um where you come from because also i think quite vitally at the beginning she won't tell him Mm -hmm. her surname just Just fran Fran. yeah it's just fran and of course she says something in spanish you know but doesn't translate it she says that thing she says oh it's just something i've been working on Mm. at home when she talks about those spanish steps that she does you know, yeah. she, she plays it and down. And she goes by Fran and, you know, not Francesca. And she has obviously been made fun of for her name. You know, they call her Frangipani and things like that. Yeah. There is that kind of cultural shame that you just absorb. And she has to unlearn that as well. So, yeah. And become fully sort of proud of it and proud mm. of herself and and proud of her family and her roots. And that's, yeah, that's a wonderful part of her journey. Yeah. It's just so good. 
I love that she has this legacy in her mother that, you know, she's also got her abuela there to help her sort of navigate that. Mm. Oh, I don't want to do this. I don't know if I'm good enough at this. And, and her, her abuela's like, of course you will be. Like your mother was, you will be. And she would be proud of you. And I'm proud of you. It's nice to mm. know that she's always had an ally in the way that Scott hasn't. You sort of get that because Fran has her abuela. She's able to be a little bit more confident. Whereas you see Scott really doesn't have anyone who can really support him as he is, as he wants to be from the get-go. And I love that her dad is also there at the end. You know, he's gone to watch her perform, even though there's that moment where he's like, is this what Mm. you waste your time on, right? He's so dismissive what she's doing, but because he's gone on this journey with Mm. her and they've shared this knowledge... He can be there for her at the end too, which is lovely. He's invested. And realizes she's good. Yeah. Mm. You said that moment earlier, that moment where it's like, oh, he's actually quite surprised. Like, yes, mm. yes, that is how you do it sort of thing. You know, so she has surprised him mm. too. So good. And you know what? Perfect length for a film too. Yeah. <laughs> Love a good 90 yes. minute film. <laughs> you don't have to take a yes. break. You don't have to get up and get yeah. snacks. <laughs> like you can, you just settle in and watch it. Yeah. <laughs> And it's interesting to read about and to know that there were maybe, you know, there were these other sort of subplots. There was, I think, a kind of political one about, um, you know, workers and workers' rights or something in it at some point, which then actually makes you think about the films which are sort of in this ballpark. We think about things like Brassed Off um, or The Full Monty possibly as well, you know, where they've got this other stuff going on. And I think Strictly Boring is so simple, but so right Mm -hmm in its simplicity mm. as well that's the other thing and as a as someone trying to write mm. films it's a it's a wonderful film to re-watch and re-study as well and reread the screenplay and everything because it's because yeah. it reminds you of that you know it's a simple story like again i can't remember who said it but you know a screenplay this idea that a screenplay should be a simple story about complex mm. emotions you know and that you can strip things down um and but also in a film like this where you're following it it is obviously scott's story scott and fran's story but it's also got these other you know yeah other characters who still feel mm. you know and it straddles this line between this kind of broad yeah. comedy or kind of quite it seems quite almost garish it's very you know the connect beautiful obviously jill uh Bilcox is it um editing who edits all his films in this fantastic like sort of kinetic mm. way the energy of it and the colorfulness yeah. of it and yeah. the kind of ottness like sort of the, of the feathers and the, and the sequins and the and the tiny fruit and <laughs> that tonally Baz Luhrmann manages to sort of straddle all these things and he'll have this almost OTT-ness yeah. and this colourfulness and this playfulness and everything that's going on quite broad comedy at times but the heart of it is so true mm. that you can you can then have still moments and quiet moments and these cinematic moments as I said you know moments without dialogue which are which is you know in the, you know what cinema in so many ways you know that's what you're kind of striving for as well what can you show without yeah. dialogue and even though the dialogue in this is absolutely spot on I don't think there's a line you'd ever take out or change you know it's 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 like you said it's 90 minutes and it does what it says yeah. on the t- and you know it gets you from there to there and it does it beautifully and succinctly and it's funny mm. and it's moving um but the, the even the dialogue aside you know that they're these visually sort of moments that that work and that are moving and are memorable i think not just because they uh, partly because they obviously look beautiful the way he's framed something or the way he's you know shot it but also emotionally mm. it's you know he he just basil gets the power of cinema and has that eye and whether it's i mean i get it i get those chills and that stuff mm-hmm. like right from the very very opening when you hear the first strains of the blue mm. danube and the dancers are in mm-hmm. silhouettes and scott does the mm-hmm. leap god it's just that that is just 
absolutely beautiful. So from the off, from the very first moment you get that, and then, like you said, you know, the Coca-Cola sign mm-hmm. rooftop scene, and then we pan down and we mm-hmm. see Doug dancing in the studio below, and then later on that's reversed, yeah. and they're in the studio practicing, mm-hmm. and he's up on the roof dancing with the washing line thing, which is just stunning. The outdoor party mm-hmm. scene, such a soft spot for so those lovely. kind of scenes in films, always, you know, with the fiesta yeah. and the, the lights and the music and the dancing and the good Yes, train, I love that. The, the mm. train that rumbles past, you know, um, which apparently was like the yeah. most expensive scene to shoot because they had to hire oh, the train no. to, to go past twice. That's on the disused line. So Darling Harbour used to be Darling Island. Ah. And so that train line was actually being ripped up. I think it all went 96. So they got to use that space and that train line was still there, but they've ripped it all up now. So they didn't have anything running wow. on it. So getting a train oh. there and running it was actually quite an ordeal. So they had to just keep running it back and forth wow, and doing wow. all these takes. And that and the jacket he, <laughs> he wears in the end were one of the big like other budget blowouts. Like they spent a lot on mm. that. And I think it was well worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Because it just, there's your film right there in those two things really, isn't it? It just it tells so much. It's, it tells a story. It's storytelling mm. moment. And like I said, just, just visually memorable and moving. And the clapping of Doug hands oh, the shaky yeah. and shake oh mm. the shaky clapping and then the slide, the slide. of course yeah you know, the, the the slide the knee slide and the and the twist the turn yeah. at the end and the slow motion of it i i tweeted um when i was watching i did a screen grab of you know that bit the classic well the bit where he she mm-hmm. then appears and you see her feet and the you know dress and um the way that's framed is so gorgeous yeah and i tweeted it and somebody tweeted back something about how that moment just yeah. stays with you know, that slide just stays and that's true i think for mm. all of us right that's like he created god i'd die happy if i ever wrote a film like strictly do you know what I mean you've just yeah. made like that's it if you've given given the world like that spine tingling moment it's just so beautiful and like in the dance that's he starts this dance off at a lower level than fran which mm. says a whole lot right like he starts out mm. looking up mm. to her whereas when we see him yes. in the first shot well we see his backside which is fantastic but also like we see him and liz <laughs> and all we see in my view all we saw the costumes right so bright mm. and loud and glitzy and this, it's focused more on his face. He's looking up at his partner. He is fully in sync. He's ready to go. They're responding to one another. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, oh, I'm giving myself goosebumps just talking about it. But I think the best <laughs> thing Lerman ever did was surround himself with an incredible team. Mm. Because you see that, like, one person alone can't do this. Like, this is definitely... As you said, Jill Bilcock yeah. and Catherine Martin and Craig Pierce. Mm. Like it's a he's got a great team. Imagine writing something like that, yeah, age thirty, yeah. and like that is the beginning of your career. I would just how are you not paralyzed with horror that you have to top that somehow? And then he does. He just <laughs> He went and did well, it. I, I think I read an interview of him his once a long time ago or watched an interview where he was saying that, you know, they were pitching Romeo and Juliet. And he's like, and if you don't like that, we'll just go make Strictly Ballroom 2. Like, he was so assured of the success of that that he was like, we'll just do Strictly Ballroom 2. <laughs> and Strictly Ballroom was, yeah. was a hard Yeah, no sell. one wanted it. That's the thing. You know, they didn't have stars. You know, these are a bunch of young people out of drama college yep. and they didn't have stars. And he famously, he had, you know, he went all the way to Cannes to try and sort of pre-sell it, you know, and to... And to get more funding on board and came back mm. without without it, you know. So it was a real, you know, pulling pulling that together. It's um, 
you know, and, and it wasn't, and they didn't just have the scripture because they had all these kind of like all these other things. Apparently, he's acting out, and they would have been creating, you know, yeah, I'm sure mood boards and mm. all these sort of things and the equivalent of a pitch deck, you know, back then. But um, yeah, getting films funded and and getting when you, especially when you don't have big names, it's a first time feature director. That's it's a it's difficult, and and you know, even with the success, you do hope that then the success of something like Shirley Bond, like, oh well, clearly now yeah. we do back films like that because. Look at the huge success of something like Strictly Boring, but you know, how many years later, it's still the same story. I read an interview with um, Sean Hader, who you know uh, wrote and directed mm. Coda, oh, yeah. and Coda, which has actually just won Best Film Oscar, was very was again a very hard mm. sell because they had no stars, yeah. you know, and they were obviously using deaf actors um, rather than actors, you know, pretending, you know, acting um, as deaf people, yeah. and you know, for authenticity and 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 you know that's the film they wanted to make and wouldn't refu- wouldn't um, compromise on and it was but it was difficult for them you did that tweet where you were saying you know people underestimate how hard it is to do a story like that that looks simple that is just heartwarming right because mm. yeah because yeah, yeah belfast coda people are like oh why did that win why did coda win best picture that's not the most amazing story but it makes you feel something so that is hard yes. and it hits all the right beats too, which cry. is really hard to do anybody can write something badly but to write something good that feels comfortable and easy and predictable, but you know that it is still like you still you know what's going to happen, but you want to follow them through the journey. The classic, mm. I think, for that yeah. is the um, is was it Apollo thirteen? Oh, we all know 13. what happens. It's a historical event. Mm. Everybody's heard what happens, mm-hmm. but you're still like on the edge of your seat. You want to see it happen. You want to know that they get home safe, even though you know they do. But you want to see it. Like you're still invested because the 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 writing has made you care about it. Mm. I think that's why in this Absolutely. movie they don't win. You don't they, see um, them win because that's not the point. Mm. I didn't even really think about exactly. the fact that I didn't get a payoff in that sense because you get the emotional payoff. He actually gets the support of his parents. Their relationship mends. He and Fran get to dance. They share this lovely kiss at the end. Way more convincing than Darcy and Elizabeth. Sorry, I'm just going to say it. It's just, it's beautiful. Everybody's <laughs> dancing with someone and having a great time and you feel it's like a community again. Yeah. And this stuff, as you say, is underestimated, I think, in terms of uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how hard it is to write something that's on the surface looks quite straightforward mm. or 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 people will even deride in some way in it not strictly but you know i know some people have been very snippy about Coda, yep. for example or even snippy yep. about belfast but the ability to write something create something that makes people laugh yeah. makes people mm. cry um and makes you feel something in both ways is is mm. super hard super hard and and strictly knowing also the history now that they had all these other subplots and everything screenwriting also is an exercise in stripping things away a lot yeah, of standing the time in the mirror and taking you one know, thing off and, and it's that go out yeah and condensing all the things you want someone to say in mm. one line for example you know it's that kind of and it's actually and it is um yeah surprisingly very difficult as i'm finding when i write like massive long epic first drafts and then have to cut them back and cut them back and taika waititi's got this trick where he he says that he sort of writes a very long first draft and then puts it away as as one does you know and then you come back to it but what he does is he get puts it away then comes back to it however many Mm. weeks months later or whatever rereads it puts it to one side and then writes from memory and so basically writes what he can remember and almost by definition says, well, if I can't remember, it can't be that important. Fascinating. Um, so if you overwrite, it's it's a good that that's a good trick for. for I'm going to try that trick. Down. I like that. Um, I think that will help with mm. my stories, which tend to. Yeah. Know, I put a lot of sand in the sandbox when I write. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
And often yeah, when you write a screenplay, you do that. You're like, you'll even write maybe in dialogue sometimes holding dialogue, which you just kind of like, he tells her blah, blah, blah. You know, well, you just say you, the on the nose stuff. You know, you say, I feel X because and Y. we'll figure it out later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. And, and exactly. You put the secret code um, in. I have a secret maybe search code so that scenes. I can find these things later, which is C-H-K. Oh. And oh. so I'll write check. So that means that I'll go control F check. Check, check. And ah, I just look for that because that's not something you find a lot in. That's not something you find a lot in, like, just words that you don't write. Mm. You don't find that a lot, I find. So it's been very useful to have a secret code. Oh, that's <laughs> a good one. Mm. Oh, I'll take that tip. That's great. <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating. I just write myself notes. Like, sometimes when I'm writing something, I'm like, this happens. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. We'll figure it out later. Just in brackets, being like, I don't know, reasons. Yeah, Ask yeah. a Move smarter on. friend to weigh in. <laughs> How would you get them out of? I always, I have a, I, I wait, I lean on you quite a bit, Jen, but I also lean on my friend Lewix, and I'll just text her and be like, okay, so this is happening. How do they get out? And she'll usually solve it for me. Yeah, I feel like that was a real learning curve for me because in uni when I studied it, I it felt like the first draft had to be perfect. Like I had to nail it. Like you couldn't write stuff like that. I couldn't write it down if I didn't know why it was happening. Now I'm like, eh, this is a first draft. It doesn't yeah, matter. Sand in the sandbox. <laughs> Because it's so easy to get lost mm. in your wonderful descriptions or your wonderful dialogue, and for example, and exactly, and it actually, does it actually work as a whole, mm. as a story? It's better to sort of know if you've got the shape of it right and to know that you can then go in and do the, the fun stuff of polishing dialogue, whatever, or writing, yeah. you know, wonderful jokes and these kind of thing. And But actually, does it work as a story? And I think we're all, I'm certainly very bad for just kind of... Getting it done. You know, <laughs> I'll plot it for ages and plan it, but, but we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll get probably too far into it before realising... This oh, doesn't actually make sense. <laughs> actually, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's 100 pages too oh, long. Disappointing. Um, <laughs> Although I found it really interesting what you were saying before about moments and scripts with no dialogue, because it's certainly something I've noticed when mm. I watch films from the 80s. I think about Rocky for this particular one a lot. A lot of scenes with no dialogue in Rocky, and you don't see that in modern films a lot. Like people fill space all the time. Yeah, and it's um, and I'm a big fan of talky mm, movies. Same. Like I grew up, I think, loving those kind of films. Exactly. Um, but actually, interestingly, now I think I appreciate far more the non-talky stuff. And also, what you were saying about that whole kind of, you know, that that the idea of the emotional journey of someone and getting that. And what Gemma was saying about the, the, you know, we don't need them mm-hmm. to win. You know, actually, we get the emotional thing. That's also making me think about um, what I remember some screenwriting guru t- saying about um, Die yeah. Hard. And you know, we hold Die Hard up because you know because bully- mm. rightly so because it's brilliant and loads of fun yes and we love it as an mm. action movie but the base of the screenwriter guru is basically saying if it didn't have the storyline with his ex-wife no one would no care. one would care yeah you wouldn't care whether john mcclain defeated yeah. the terrorists or not yeah in the yakatomi building you you wouldn't because you might think you would but actually what good what good writing is doing is uh is giving you that emotional mm-hmm. heart you've got to give your 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 hero that emotional journey um otherwise it would be an okay action movie it'd be okay but it wouldn't it wouldn't be this wonderful action movie that we that we know it to be and you know it's fundamentally a romance Um, film yeah it's a rom-com discuss it is one of my favorite movies when people go oh that's so unrealistic you're reading a romance novel and i'm like yes so when was the last time you had to defeat terrorists in nakatomi tower (laughs) please explain how my love of romance novels is somehow lesser than your diehard i'll wait and how great is Hans Gruber, though, exactly. as well, though? Come on. So good. Hans Gruber, the original villain. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely He's Alan. great. Mm. He's got the range. <laughs> Sometimes. Truly Madly Deeply is another favourite of mine. Have you ever seen Truly no, Madly No, familiar Deeply? with the Savage Garden song, <gasps> though. 
That was my first thought too. Oh, guys, you would love Truly Badly Deeply. I think actually historically it's been incredibly difficult. Like it didn't come out on DVD, Ooh, and I don't know if okay, it still okay. has it. But it's Juliet Stevenson and um, Alan Rickman, and it's directed by Anthony Minghella. Um, it might—I don't want to say it's Anthony Minghella's first feature, but it's an early feature of his. It's absolutely amazing. It's a wonderful, wonderful rom-com, which is smart and funny. I've heard her. She reads audiobooks that I've. Bought. Oh yes. Yeah. She, yeah. She did the um, the Jane Eyre audiobook, and I thought that was just fantastic. Oh my gosh, it sounds amazing. I've just googled it. Yeah, I don't want to sort of tell you too much about mm. the plot, um, but it's utterly charming um, and funny and very moving. And yeah, if it is. I know, like I said, it's had some strange sort of legacy since mm. it was made in terms of its release, you know, and it's the kind of thing you have to sort of right. watch it on TV if you get the chance mm. sort of thing because it, the DVD hasn't been available, as I say. So I'm not quite sure. It's I don't think it's on any streaming platforms. You know, um, quite know. There I am recommending a film, which is now impossible for you to Sarah, find. we will hunt it down. Oh, yes. But... Um, <laughs> Hunt it down, and because I think you'd both love it. This is the same with Big Eden, which is like impossible to watch, but is one of the best movies. It's such a beautiful romantic movie, and mm. no one has mm. it. Like I cannot buy it or find it. It seems so bizarre in the modern era for that to be a thing. But back in the day, if you didn't see a film, you never mm. saw it again. You're like, oh well, guess. Yeah, if it wasn't tape, Blockbuster doesn't have it. So yeah. Um. Okay. We got sidetracked. I got all my tangential out. What else did we have to talk about? Any tangential things we wanted to mention? I think I've got all mine out as well. I think um, it's like I said, it's those moments. It's the moments um, that Baz Luhrmann's created visually. There's just so much. And the music mm. choices that you've mentioned as well, you know, and Love is in the mm. Air as well. I'd add to that. I, I, I adore it. And that moment, another sort of spine tingly moment when that's playing and everyone comes on the dance floor. That song was revived yes. because of this film. It yeah. was an older song that he got extra famous for. It's like a very famous song now. It had done well, but now because of this film. Yeah. After this came out, I think it got up to the the number five on the Australian Mm -hmm. charts in the wake of this film. So gave it a whole new lease of life that's something you hope it's a writer i think as well and obviously in his case as well as the filmmaker that you exactly you can cast a um a light on that stuff which is also now making me think sorry when i think about the visual moments as well how there's another film that a film that came out recently over here the phantom of the open yes. which is another fun one to look out uh, look out for i don't know if yeah if it's come out over your way yet but um and i think craig roberts i believe is the director of that it's written by simon farnaby the great uh, actor and comedy mm. writer and it's, an, it's a sort of true story about this guy who was terrible at golf and sort of made his way to play in the British Open it's just adorable it's Mark oh, Rylance um, plays it it's, it's a wonderful wonderful very very fun film and funny film and when I was watching that I felt like it was influenced a bit by Strictly yeah. in terms of it's the visual there's some little sort of elements of fantasy to it and especially I think we haven't really talked about the section in the film where it does that kind of the flashback to telling the story oh, of what happened yeah. with Doug and Shirley um, and this whole other again tone how that's sort of different and um and so much mm, fun yeah it's very dramatic you're absolutely right to flag that the way that the they're all wearing terrible makeup like such exaggerated stage makeup and their hair is all black all of them have black mm. hair even though none yeah. of them have black hair i mean it's, it's definitely set up like it looks um <laughs> it's panto yeah, right? yeah yeah i was gonna say like a, a silent film more than a yeah. Oh, silent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Silent film is a good one. Mm. Yeah, like an mm. animation rather than actual. And I think that's because yeah. it's fan- fantastical. It's not real. It's an invention of of berries. Which I think you don't. When you first yeah. see it and you don't know that, right? You're thinking, oh, okay, this was a very dramatic moment, and you're like, this is dramatization. You're seeing it's kind of paints Doug as the villain, yeah. right? He's the the pantomime villain in this story, and he that's went off what the you rails. get. Yeah. 
But then when you know that Barry fabricated it, you see it more in a in that fantastical, farcical light. When you think back mm. on it, you're like, oh, it's it's hyper realistic because it's not real. I thought you guys might get a kick out of as I have the screenplay mm. in front of me here as well. So it's been fascinating, obviously, to read the screenplay and see like sort of you know what's said especially say in the action lines by Baz Luhrmann and Craig yeah. Pierce but I, I'm thinking about also that wonderful moment that you mentioned Jen of um, when, when Doug comes up to Shirley because yeah. I was thinking about love is in the air and all that and when that starts and Doug walking up mm. to Shirley and how that's written and oh, how the ending oh, is yeah. written in the screenplay is lovely I think because it says Doug slowly walks through the crowd he stops in front of Shirley looks her in the eye and asks her the question she's waited 25 years to Aww. hear Doug Aww. shall we dance Shirley hesitates, tears streaming from her eyes. She meets Doug's gaze and they take the floor to the cheers of the crowd. Now Wayne and Vanessa, Clary and Natalie. Now three more couples, five more, ten. Kylie and Luke dance Scott's samba. Yaya dances with Les. The floor is flooded in a sea of celebration. As the samba finishes, we hear the final bars of the blue Danube mm. and the red velvet curtain rings down. That's lovely. And obviously in the end, they change yeah. that to it's mm. lovers in the air and that's the final thing and we don't hear the blue Danube again but it's interesting to note that even from the beginning yeah. it was the blue Danube and just rehearing you read that it just really mm. brings home that kind of you know we start in the strictly conformity driven world yeah. and then it just becomes a democratization of everyone's emotions yeah. everyone's free everyone can come in and be part of this whether they're in the competition or not it's yeah. just open to everyone so yeah. it's lovely yeah. I think of shining your light allows other people yeah. to shine their light and it allows it's said you know Fran and Scott enabling each other to be free like that and be free and fully themselves and it how that spills out to people dancing with each other that they wouldn't have danced with before and mm. yeah as Doug says it's the dancing it was the dancing that mattered yeah oh, that's so it just makes me happy you know Aww. it's just wholesome and good yeah. and we need more of it in the modern world <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> absolutely um i think that was it for all of my i think i got all of the other stuff out i did i did did i did i mention that paul mccurio was not um a ballroom dancer and had to learn a lot yeah because he did ballet didn't he? ballet and classic contemporary so he's a classically trained contemporary dancer so like i felt like the stuff that was really his was like when you could see him doing the leaps and the turns (laughs) sorry i've got my offsiders (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, I, I loved watching the transformation <laughs> in the show, but I also thought it was really great that the behind the scenes stuff, mm. you get a bit of insight into the fact that he is a great dancer, but just not in this style. This isn't his native tongue, so to speak. Yeah. I think you can tell though, because mm. of his posture, right? Like the way he holds himself, you can just be like, oh yeah, this man knows how to how to do these things. I just think you can tell. <laughs> performers oh my gosh and the legs and the like the fact that he's got those amazing legs (laughs) and there's nice shades of i feel like there's real shades of old school musical stuff when he's first dancing and fran's watching him Mm. secretly the way he holds himself um and the way he jumps up onto Mm. the chair or the bench or whatever and yeah that tight top and trousers slightly higher trousers Mm. thing of the gene kelly style and that sort of like but yeah the way he sort of um the way he holds himself yeah, you can bounce a rock off those abs because they're just like so much core strength. Like I've got one ab and it makes its mind up on whether or not it's going to turn up. So it's beyond me. I love dancing. I love watching people dance. I am not a dancer though. Same. 
Mm-hmm. It's not, I think it's nice to have a tiny, tiny community shown in a, in a film. And that's something I didn't really get a chance to think about this deeply. But the way that it's presented is very camp, but in mm. a loving way. Like, this mm. is just an accepted part of it. The pageantry yeah. and the theatricality of it is just part of it. And it's never questioned or it never seems wrong. The only time when it really seems out of place is when Shirley is doing makeup for Fran. And she's like, oh, and this is Island Nights. And it's like, oh, Fran, that's not your look. And Shirley's <laughs> like, see, that's you. She's different from all of the other women, and that's on purpose because she's bringing a new style and, like, a certain kind of restraint into mm. the flashiness of it. Yeah. That was the only other real thing I had to, to mention was that the aesthetics of each person, the costuming of everybody, yeah. it's all very consistent mm. with their personalities. Well, yeah, the fact that, that he's made the woman whose mantra is put on your happy mm. face <laughs> yes. a makeup consultant. Yeah. <laughs> It's just just yeah. perfect, oh. isn't it? On that and on the music note as well, I noticed um on the rewatch that the first time we see the dance studio and it is the whole Shirley doing her happy face thing. It's happy feet. Oh my feet gosh, yeah. Happy feet. I got those happy feet. So it's like mm. it's happy feet. Happy face. Put like. on an act, everyone. <laughs> this is the world mm, we're entering. Yeah. Amazing. You know, great music choice. He's always good with the music every time. You know, you're not going to go wrong with oh, the Bears yeah. Lerman film. Oh, gosh, yeah. That's the other wonderful thing about cinema. And actually, that's why I wanted to write films. That's why I, that's why I went for it, because I just think it, it combines all these mm. different art forms in such a wonderful way. Like, you know, you're told against like, these kind of screenwriting mm. rules. Uh, you know, one of them is, for example, is not really to mention mm. songs. And I end up always banging yeah. them in. <laughs> Like this I'm is the writing. one I want yeah. <laughs> because you know yeah this is then this plays and that you know and it's like one two I shouldn't you shouldn't do it because it's the music supervisor's job but on the other hand you know yeah. if you really feel something or music is you know I feel like as I said it film combines all these things it mm. combines language and you know you're writing a screenplay it's the written word um, but then it's the visual stuff that you have to imagine you know you're describing what when it, a screenplay I think sometimes people think screenplay is just mm-hmm. the dialogue and of course the screenplay is taking you through the yeah. whole film mm-hmm. from start to finish and describing what you mm-hmm, see mm-hmm. but not so much um as a director of course you know you don't do the director's job so you don't sort of talk about you know what angle you're seeing from necessarily and that's unless it's completely vital or exactly what someone's wearing unless it's completely vital because that's the costume mm-hmm. designer's job you know but you are describing you hope that you're writing in a way a visual way that you can picture what is being described and then this and the music like i said is such a big is, is a big part of the of film as well and to me, when you have a song that's really good, that's just laid over the top of the scene, I'm like, this is somebody who's a great music finder for movies and TV. But when it's part of the story, I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. this is somebody who's really like simpatico with what is going on in the story. Mm. Yeah, and that again, there's no accidents, you know, and you know, people are good at this stuff, you know, are doing choosing obviously very specific charts for very specific reasons, and there'll be reasons why, you know, the reason why you're told as a screenwriter to not put in that kind of stuff is that half the time, you know, it's well, not just because you could argue it's the music supervisor's job, right. but also Licensing. because yeah. um, it's expensive. Music and film right. is very, yeah. very expensive. And so if you're saying it has to be this track, then you go, oh, well, you know, it's going to cost X. Oh, and famously, actually, Baz Luhrmann was literally kind of going to Elton John in person, oh and sort of going around to various people's houses in person to ask for the rights to use stuff in Moulin Rouge. Because, of course, he wasn't even just... And the thing is, he wasn't even obviously asking for the rights to play mm. Elton John's recording of your song for example but to have someone sing it but also to have it sing it as part yeah, of a mashup yeah of course yeah so it's it's you know i'm just going to take a line of this and a line of Amazing. that you know it. so it's it's a very difficult mm. ask you know and when you're as powerful as him by that point you've maybe got a bit more of a chance um, okay give me one second i'm so sorry i'm just gonna dispatch this guy to next door so he can go to bed hang on talk amongst <laughs> yourself it's okay it's all right oh, of course of course of course <laughs> 
Um, yeah, and then you think about, you know, The Great Gatsby, which I also love the soundtrack for that, right? But quite different for Baz in the way that I think he went to Beyonce and Jay-Z and asked them to do tracks for that from memory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they're not like as intrinsic to it as in the Red Curtain trilogy. It's a bit more built in, I think. Yes, yeah. And that he sort of said, I think, that in the Red Curtain trilogy, it was about sort of highlighting a particular aspect of theatre mm. in each one. So Strictly is mm-hmm. dance. Um, Romeo and Juliet is poetry and language and Moulin Rouge is mm. music. But all those things run through yeah. all of them, don't they? Because obviously also in Moulin Rouge, he's a poet, mm-hmm. right? And 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 so, and uh, and he's using poetry to woo her like through mm. song lyrics. And, and obviously music is a massive part of Strictly Boring because I was about to say, because you're not, not dan- of dancing without music, you know, you've got to have them together. But of course, the wonderful thing about yes. the clapping at the end it is takes... there is no music yeah. when they're dancing and it's the rhythm, feel mm. the rhythm. You just need a heartbeat, really. Dance and that that's what they need to hear, that heartbeat. Exactly, exactly. Which is so beautiful. Um, just love it. Everybody yeah. claps. <laughs> Sorry, one tangential I've just thought of as well, like from the UK point of view, it's really fascinating and strangely a funny sort of a cultural thing, I think, that if you refer to Strictly now in Britain, if you say Strictly, everyone would think you mean Strictly Come mm, Dancing, okay. which is our version of Dancing with the Stars, yeah. And it's so funny that it's... Um, so basically we had this dance show, you know, on UK TV for decades called Come Dancing, mm-hmm. um, a ballroom dancing show, which is, you know, a big, big TV show for, like I said, I don't know when it started Come Dancing, maybe the 60s, wow. and certainly mm. a sort of 70s, 80s thing. So it's this long running show. So when, and then Strictly Ballroom became, you know, a mm-hmm. hit film and became a big thing. And then someone came up with the idea of what we'll call Dancing mm-hmm. with the Stars. So this idea of the, you know, the celebrities doing ballroom dancing together and they called it Strictly Come Dancing because Strictly Ballroom had become this sort of famous thing and I don't know how much money they've ended up paying Baz Luhrmann or whoever for the rights to take that word strictly and then applying it to come dancing because this was this well-known thing but now to modern audiences I'm like it's such a weird name because it doesn't make grammatical <laughs> yeah. sense yeah, yeah, particularly yeah. and of course every other country in the world that then has used that franchise of TV shows has called it Dancing with the yeah. Stars quite yeah. because that makes sense but we've got this strange thing called Strictly Come Dancing yeah. where like I said if you now mention Strictly you're not talking about Strictly Boring, you're talking about Strictly mm. Come Dancing. Um, but it's part of the legacy mm. of, uh, of Strictly Boring that we have Strictly as a sort of shorthand and like for one of the most popular TV shows yeah. ever, you know, um, and certainly one of the most popular TV shows in the, in the calendar. Um, can't wait for it when it comes around every year. It's like Great British Bake Off in the summer and then Strictly in the autumn. Oh, gosh, yeah. And I think Paul Mercurio was a judge on Dancing with the Stars Australia, I think. So that's ah. quite a nice little come round. Yeah, Great British Bake Off is just the most wholesome TV show in the world ever. Like, I haven't met a single person who does not like it, right? <laughs> I don't like reality TV in general, but I really like Bake Off because I just feel like they all care about each other and they help each other. And it's mm-hmm. just like sometimes if you're having a bad day, you can just watch an episode of Bake yeah. Off and you're like, everyone tried their best and some people left they got to try they had a good time yeah no absolutely and i think it's always like a constant reminder that it's okay to fail because things always go wrong in bake off don't they um it's very but people keep going you know it can go something go horrendously wrong in the middle of your bake and you have to keep going or present your show stopper while it's falling apart amazing 
Um, okay, we should do character spotlight. Jane, why don't you kick us off with who you'd like to spotlight as your character? All right, I really struggled with this because there are so many characters that I want to shine a light on, but I ended up going with Shirley. She's somebody who's built up such a defense around this one mistake that she made. She's kept on making it. Like, she's doubled down in the worst way, and she pins all of her redemptive hopes on her son. Mm -hmm. But she hasn't really figured out that even if Scott does win the Pan Pacific Grand Prix, she would still be left with herself and all of those bad feelings. So she's just, she's getting really close to this point where he will win and everything rides on him winning, but also she doesn't know why she still feels bad. Mm. But I think that that's like the hope of parents, right? That your kids will have it better and do better than you. So I can see where she's coming from. She's really Mm. scared that he's going to make a mistake that he can't walk back from because that happened to her and she can't even deal with it. But Mm. I don't know. I just really feel for her because she loves her kids, but she's just kind of bad at it. So I just Mm. wanted to give her a little spotlight and say that like, sometimes it's hard to do the right thing for the people you love the most. Sometimes you're still working from your own wounds and not your own scars and I really saw her in this as somebody who was really struggling like she's sympathetic but she's also not but she is you Mm. know like I really was able to say yeah I can see how Mm. she got there so I just wanted to spotlight Shirley I love that because you could easily read her as a villain in a way right she's almost set up to be the bad guy but she's yeah she's not right she's got her reasons and you can see where she got there as you said Andrea you know she had she had reasons there was a thinking behind it she had to think of her future so there's increasing desperation Mm. that's how I felt at the end of it I came to this she's just so desperate as you said, you know, a lot of this can be kind of quite camp or cartoonish and strictly mm. boring. But this, the heart of it and the, the reality of these people really mm. is there beneath yeah. the makeup, in her case as well, and the coiffured hair and everything. And, yeah. the heart. and I think what he really does beautifully as well with her at the very end, because the end is this great chance, especially in like a comedy like this and a multi sort of multi-character thing you can do your little things with different little characters at the end and you can have Liz Holt plug the electricity yeah. back mm. in or you know and dance with with Fran's dad and you can you can give these people these little moments of redemption in a really nice mm. way and I always love films as well where people aren't wholly bad yeah. or wholly good so you don't just have you know you can have a Barry Five but actually he ends up making Barry Five just look rather yeah. pathetic right with his wig with his toupee right so he still ends up he doesn't get redeemed he's still the bad guy but he's kind of realised the game the jig is up <laughs> yeah and what he does with Shirley, I think, is beautiful because if you notice at the end when people all start joining in with the clapping, yeah, she she's just paralyzed. Yeah, she's still processing, I think, what's going on. She's still this sort of round human being. So to have her clap maybe would be a step too mm. far. But he has her standing there. And Pat yeah. Thompson, is that her name? She's so wonderful. And who sadly passed away, didn't she, just before the film premiered? Oh, she's so wonderful. And she she stands there and she's you can see it all. She's trying. This isn't what she wants, but it is mm-hmm. brilliant and beautiful. And it is what she yeah. wants. And, and so she's all this mixture of emotions going on in her. And she doesn't join in with the clapping. But yeah walks over to her and that's if she'll dance and she's got tears in her eyes and of course she wants to dance with him she wants him you know it is the most it's the most perfect ending for her yes there's a moment in the beginning after she's been crying doug has been in the other room watching scott dance and he's just in his own happy place and then Mm. she's upset Mm. les is holding her she looks at him and he says come on shirley i'll take you home and he doesn't even look at her and she just her face falls in that moment Mm. i had never really seen it before but she wants him to see her and acknowledge her and Mm. he's just so used to not being seen and acknowledged that he just doesn't try which is why that payoff at the end is so cathartic right because they finally connecting and yeah. the film works for that emotional payoff like it leads yeah. us there so it's great yeah. Fran and Scott Hoops I'm all about <laughs> Doug and Shirley um, <laughs> so lovely uh, Andrea who was your character to spotlight 
Oh, it's hard, <laughs> isn't it? It is hard because they're all so brilliant and you can say so much about all of them. Yeah. Well, I was tempted to pick Doug, but I think I'm going to pick Fran because it's not just about the performance. It is about how they're written. As you said, you know, Tara Maurice is so mm-hmm. perfect in this and so charming, so funny physically and funny mm. verbally and, and believable when she totally speaks in the heart and, and tears up mm. when she talks about how hard it's been for her. But I, what I really love about the character of Fran is that she could have been this sort of very obvious ugly mm-hmm. duckling sort of you know pushover sort of character who learns from him but you know we underestimate her again it's just beautifully written and, and beautifully sort of plotted and everything that we you know we see her as others see her and we underestimate her in the way that Scott underestimates yeah. her at first you know when she says that thing about oh I make my own mm. steps up too it sounds like she's a bit of a yeah. joke you know and she's like and you know we can almost scoff like Scott yeah. would scoff you know we think oh she probably is mm. terrible but we realise like he does that you know we should take her seriously and that as I said there's this like real kernel of self-belief in her for good yep. reason um, and to see that flourish and grow and her become sort of fully herself and fully authentic and her self-belief grow and her acceptance of her family and their and their acceptance of her and her acceptance of her heritage i just think oh it's just mm. just a magical transition and it was such a wonderful point you made earlier which i hadn't thought about before jen about at the very end when he's he's on his knees and he's looking up at her and and she and the status mm. you know that she mm. has then um is just just brilliant and beautiful and i just think she's a yeah fantastic character funny and charming and um and you kind of fall Mm. in love with her yeah as you want to fall in love with your leading lady you know and you want your leading man to fall in love with her but she doesn't but she's not a pushover you know oh she's so australian as well (laughs) (laughs) i have to just that little everyone's gone home yeah i know and then she makes that little face that little like it's just the rapidity of speech and the like micro expressions are a huge part of communication <laughs> here. It's very different to America where we're all like friendly all the time. Here it's like you gotta be quick. You gotta see what people are saying. You can miss a lot if you're not paying attention. And yeah. I think not a lot of people are paying attention to Fran. Yeah. And she's the and she is the, and the whole thing about, you know, the theme of fear. Sorry, a life lived in fear is a life half lived. You know, that fear she is the fearless Absolutely. one really in it, or more so than him. You know, she's she brave. is the brave one. You know, well mm. she has her fears, but she overcomes them and she has courage and she's she's the brave one. She's the one that takes takes yeah. risks. You know, yeah. she takes risks by suggesting that Scott dances with her in the first place. Um that's one thing I was gonna say about conformity mm. actually, was this idea of you know, it's like know yeah. your place is a part of all this in this film, isn't it? You know, this idea of you're, she's back in beginners, beginners where, where she, she belongs. belongs. Yeah. How dare you ask me an open amateur, you know, that idea, you know your place in this hierarchy of the ballroom mm. dancing world. And the fact that she has the bravery to take the risk to to suggest that he dances with her in the first place that he, she interjects with her dance mm-hmm. steps, you know, that she's like, oh, I've got yeah. this idea. And he's like, no, no, no. And she's like, no, no, you know, and then she just shows yeah. him that she pushes mm. him to push back on his family and what's sort yeah. of expected of him in the dance world and all of that. You know, I think she she holds him to account. She speaks her truth to him and she speaks truth to him about yeah. him. So she's the one that sort of is leading the way, really, when when it comes down to, you know, not living in fear. It's like I said, it's it's her and his dad in the end that really are the ones that, the that catalysts, give him yeah. that final, yeah, that final push, that final impetus to really be free. I agree. And really do. Yeah. Be who he is. 
Scott's always trying to do the right thing. This is the, mm. like, he, he must be true to himself, mm. but he is trying to do the right thing. Yeah. Once he figures out what he has to do, he tries to do it the right way. He just needs to communicate. Yeah. And that's it, because, you know, you want, you've got to still root for him. So even when he mm. does the wrong thing, he does it for the right yeah. reasons. You know, yeah. so when he ditches Fran to go it's back with Liz, you know, we day. know it's because exactly, yeah. exactly. And it's written that way so that if he'd just done it for another reason, then we wouldn't be still rooting mm. for him or caring about him. But he's had yeah. a button pressed about his family and he has, feels like he has to put that first. Yeah. No, I love that. Um, yeah, I was also going to spotlight Fran. I just think she is so brave. She puts herself out there. She knows it's going to be unpopular. She knows she's yeah. overstepping her boundaries, mm. but she's going to do it because she believes in herself and she's going to stand up for herself. And I just think it's so important to recognize people that, you know, sometimes when you are the person who are standing in your own spotlight, that is how you cast the spotlight mm-hmm. on other people, right? It's because she's embodying her own power that she enables Scott to find his. She and like she improves her relationship with her, her father. And with through mm. that, Scott improves his relationship with his parents is like this flow-on effect of people finding their confidence and finding them their true selves and she is the catalyst like she is the one who's the brave one she takes the first step as you said so mm-hmm. yeah i just love her so much she's a precious small bean I know, and I love her. the best and she looks amazing <laughs> in that red dress at the end so you know that was yeah. another thing about the costuming i loved just as yet another tangent but the fact that their costuming was still beautiful, but very understated compared to the like mm. huge glitz glam, like everything was form fitted and very like together at the end. Like they stood out because they weren't birds of paradise, mm. you know, and it really works. I just love it. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. So brilliant. Oh, well, that was delightful. Thank you so much for discussing this film with us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, but we should keep an eye on Basil and I think he's got a bright future ahead of him after this film. Can't wait to see what he does next. (laughs) No, thank you so much. I mean, it's like, yeah, it's just, it's basically a perfect movie, I think. Mm. I don't think there's loads of perfect movies, actually, but I think this is one of them. And I wouldn't change a single thing about it. It's, um, It's still funny and moving and these certain moments just stay in your brain and lines stay in your brain. And yeah, I absolutely adore it. Adore it. Oh my gosh. And that's, I just realized it came out in 92, right? So it's 30 years yeah, old. It's 30 years. Yeah. That's terrifying, but it still holds <laughs> up. So good work. Baz, good I job. I think if a movie is 30 years old and it is, is beloved, mm. yeah. and it, like, there's nothing that doesn't, like, everything could happen like that today, except there'd be more mobile phones. But yeah. Mm. Yeah, no, exactly. It's, it's timeless. And it's, mm. and it's, yeah. you know, it has this specificity that, that is universal if that makes sense um mm. these people's lives and it has this sort of slight but and tonally has this kind of yeah slightly over the top kind of camp sort of stuff going on but that yeah. has this real heart and it's been very important to me as a writer in terms of influencing me either consciously or unconsciously you know the kind of stuff i want to write and the kind of effect you want to have you know and the kind of stories you want to tell it's hard to write something this don't want to say simple perfect perfect yeah it's kind of hard to write something perfect it's elegant (laughs) yeah yeah it's contained as well you know yeah yeah Mm. i mean for such a movie as you said that is so over the top it's actually so simple and Mm. the way it tells a story is so simple yeah he gets that balance it really gets perfectly i think but thank you for letting me yammer on about it yeah of course no it was absolutely it was so wonderful to talk to somebody who does this for a living like screenwriting for a living because it gives me insight that i don't have 
just generally mm. and I love meeting other people who also love the things I love that's like totally in my jam so it was great to meet you and oh, likewise and I've loved I've listened to the, the ones you've done about films I've absolutely adored you know your discussions about oh, Romeo and Juliet and Thor Ragnarok <laughs> and the Festivus edition as well Festivus. where I'm totally yeah. with you on actually really enjoying um Last Christmas even though mm. some of the critics were really sniffy about it and I like I actually really enjoyed it and I think it does loads of stuff really well um <laughs> But um, and the like, holiday, I love it's the holiday. Perfect. Yeah. It's just this dismissal of sentimentality. Like, sentimentality is not a bad thing in and of itself. Like, people just need to get over themselves. Yeah. Or the one person sentimental, mm. going back to what we were saying about Coda and Belfast, and these, and I mentioned mm. The Phantom of the Open earlier. Also, I put The Duke in that category, which is another great oh, recent yeah. film, which in a similar vein. I love this kind of thing. So it's totally up my street. Mm. And I, exactly, I don't find Belfast, I didn't find Belfast or Coda sentimental. It's like I actually that mm. that spoke those films spoke to me and they kind of met me where I I'm at you know yeah. in, in terms of sentiment. You know what? They're Adele songs, but, right? Yeah. yeah. People just don't. People like to dunk on it because it's popular, but like it's good. It's popular for a reason. Mm, it's because it connects. it's good and yeah. it's relatable. Yeah. Like you want to have you want to experience media that connects with yeah. you. Mm. And that's and it's fine if it's Finding not your bag. Is not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's fine, but it, but that is a personal thing. Exactly, it doesn't necessarily mean that something is bad. It's just maybe not your cup of tea, and um, just as yeah. plenty of other yeah. kinds of films aren't so much my cup of tea. But um, but it's interesting. I think sentimental is used. Um, is is it is it is a yeah it? exactly, <laughs> and it's a subjective thing. What is sentimental mm. in some ways? If what you mean is oh, it's a film that's kind of does wear its heart on its sleeve at times or it's one that you know makes some people cry then it's like yeah Yeah. i'm sentimental all the way you got me it's fine (laughs) i like feeling things okay i'm sorry i'm not gonna that's the whole point of all of it surely right when you're i want to have a feeling about people that i'm never going to meet or have to deal with or interact with and then i can have those feelings and that way i'm better prepared to deal with not having them in my real life where things are complex (laughs) amazing yeah (laughs) I just want to get all my crying out while watching television so that I don't have to cry in real life. That's <laughs> frustrating and inconvenient. As long as you don't repress really terrible stuff for like 25 years, like Doug and Shirley Hastings. And uh... Yes, true. <laughs> Goodness, no, I've got an amazing therapist and I utilize that. Great. Mm-hmm. Better out than in. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this was so great. Well, um, next week we're going to kick off season seven of Marginalia Pod with... Anna and the French Kiss by Stephanie Perkins. We will be reading the book through the theme of youth and starting with episode one, we'll be reading chapters one through five through the theme of choice. So we can have some nice, light, joyful romance reading as a little treat. After after all of our emotional books and like hardcore family struggles, we just want to read something that makes us feel okay. Something sentimental because as we've discussed, it's not a bad thing. Absolutely. And also... We're going to Paris for 10 weeks. That's, exactly. This is our travel. Yeah. Through books. The magic of books. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, team. Thank so you. So lovely to chat. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks for coming. Yeah, It's been great you. to have you on the pod. We love having guests. I love being a guest. your Saturday morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thanks for joining Gen D and Gen V for this one shot. Martin Ailey Pod is written, edited, and produced by Gen D and Gen V, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoy listening, please rate and review the show on your podcasting platform or choice. Feel free to write an email to say hi. The email address is hello at martinaleypod.com. 
The intro and outro music is by Scott Buckley. The full show notes and additional content can be found at www.marginalpod.com.